You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, and on this episode, I'll be talking to Michael Clinton, author and former president of Hearst Magazines. Michael discusses his book, Raw, a blueprint for taking your life in a new direction post-50, and what brands need to know about the needs and ambitions of modern Gen X and boomer consumers. Also joining me is Katie Barron, Stylus's content director, for The Download, the section of Future Thinking, where Stylus experts unpick the key cultural, business and industry trends of the moment that you need to know about. On this episode, Katie brings me up to speed on all the key trends that will impact retail and brand comms in 2023. But now let's hear from Michael Clinton. I had a very long, successful magazine publishing career. I was the president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. And, you know, after 40 years, I was sort of getting ready for, you know, what's next. And everything that I read and everything that I watched and everything that I looked at was all about the big wind down. And, you know, my, my mind and my sensibility was about the big wind up. Because, you know, if you're 60 and healthy, you have another 40 years potentially to live. The old construct of sort of retiring and walking off into the sunset is, you know, becoming more and more obsolete because we're all living longer. And so I wanted to put a spotlight on that with, with Roar, the book Roar. Yeah. So tell me about Roar. What, what does Roar stand for? Well, it's an acronym. I interviewed 40 people who were living what I call the Roar lifestyle. And the, the, the message was and is, think about reimagining yourself. So the first R is reimagining and what's your favorite future and this whole mindset that you have to create that is a lifelong, it's almost like a daily practice. It's almost like your yoga or your nutrition or your health fitness practice. It's a daily practice of always reimagining where you are, where you want to go, who you want to be. And that takes some tools and some things that you have to do, which we talk about. You know, the O is, you know, owning your stuff, you know, own where you are right now, own your good, your bad, your ugly, own the fact that you made some good mistakes, some bad mistakes, some good decisions, some bad decisions, <laughs> you know, own your numbers, own your health, own your financial numbers, own your age. I, I don't like 60 as the new 40. I like 60 as the new 60. And this is what you can be. And 70 is the new 70, et cetera. A is the action plan, which is how do you do it? And, you know, good practical stuff. I wanted the book to be a combination of inspiration and practical tips and practical tools. So, and I didn't want it to be homework. I wanted it to be fun, you know, a fun process. And then R is, you know, reassessing your relationships because it's the people around you who are going to help you facilitate where you want to go. I always use the example, you know, you come home to your partner and you say, hey, I want to move to Australia. And on one end of the spectrum, you have a partner that says, yeah, that's great. Let's go. What, let's plan it. When are we going? And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, what are you out of your mind? That is the craziest, stupidest idea. So you have to reassess, you know, where do your people fit on the spectrum, your partner, your kids, your you know, family, your friends, all that, because they're the ones who are going to help you move forward in terms of, of what you want to do. So the acronym ROAR is, are those four parts. The boomer generation, if we want to call them that. There's a lot of wealth there and there's a lot of spending power there and a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and so on. 
And we've, we've been tracking this at Stylus for, for many years. And yet, as you said at the beginning, there's still an image of, of post 50 as the wind down. A lot of the people listening to this podcast are in brands, are in marketing, they're creatives, they're they're trying to talk to consumers and reach them in, in new ways. What is it that you think that brands have got wrong in the past and should start thinking about now in terms of talking to this to the raw generation? Well, we could do an hour alone on this topic. I mean, I would say the brand marketing world has been lagging behind every other world because the advertising brand marketing world, you know, tends to be a very youth-centric world and younger professionals don't necessarily have the perspective. And so what happens is the default position becomes cliche. It becomes stereotype. It becomes things that are completely outdated. And a part of that is in the creative world, especially, there are not a lot of 40, 45 plus year olds that are at the table saying, well, wait a minute, this is what today's 50, 55 year old looks like. And, and to your point, the, the, the enormous amount of money $15 trillion of spending power. The boomers are completely redefining it all to, to pick on the boomers, you know, and I'm one. And, you know, they were the, that was the generation that was behind the end, end of the Vietnam War in the U.S., civil rights, women's rights, Earth Day, Peace Corps. We could, they, they were the original activists. And, you know, many of them are now redefining what it means to be 50 plus. They're going to change the culture and more importantly, Gen X and the millennials are going to refine all of that change. And, and think about this, the, the millennials in eight years, the first millennials turned 50. So the millennials are going to also say, wait a minute, that's not who I am. So if you look at imagery, advertising, the way that the images of 50 plus are represented, it's, it's shocking and abhorrent and completely outdated. In America, there was a major cable network called A&E Networks that just did a study of 20,000 television commercials through an Amazon AI artificial intelligence tool. And in 20,000 of those television commercials, one in 10 face was over 50. One in 25 face was over 50 and female. And the majority of all of it was in situ, was downbeat, tech-phobic, housebound, walking into the distance with the grandchildren, completely, you know, completely cliched and stereotyped. So the brand marketing world, which is prides itself on being, you know, progressive and innovative and modern, is completely missing the boat in the whole evolution of, of what is happening with the 50 plus consumer, completely outdated. I sense that this is not the same in the publishing world. There are a lot of well-targeted magazines out there that, that get this cohort. Do you feel the same? I think there are, there are many that target the cohort, but I'm not so sure any of them are necessarily tapping into the new sensibility. Because if you look at the psychographics of these consumers, they are tech savvy, they are active, they are fit, they are spending their money, they are changing brands. If you think about who's driving Tesla sales, it's 50 plus. If you look at who's driving Apple Watch sales, it's 50 plus. If you look at use of technology, even on social media, the 50 plus market is you know, all rapid consumers. 
And so I think that there is still a lot of work to be done. That's part of the voice that we're trying to create with Roar. You know, we have a newsletter now, which people can access on RoarByMichaelClinton.com. But we're launching a business around Roar um, at the end of this year to really take on some of this topic with the whole notion of what is the new 50 plus world? What, what is it going to, what's it look like now? And what's it, what's it going to continue to look like, you know, as you move into the next decade or two, radical, radical changes because of the sheer number of people in the UK, in the US, in Germany, in Japan, in the, in the industrialized nations, a radical rethink as to what it will mean, especially as people, you know, are living longer. Would you want to give me an example of some of that radical change that you you predict if if you're able to? What's a, what's a good sort of case study that or use case for that? Yeah, a, a couple of things I would say for, for that. One is this complete movement, and I think Stylus has has written about this this shift about wanting to age at home. And as people are living longer, between technology, medical care, telemedicine new devices that are going to be allowing you to not only interface with your doctor online, but, but have self-tests for all kinds of, of issues. You're going to be able to do that all from home. People are, are going to want to not only age at home, but live in smart technology and around smart technology in their home to be able to do that in a, in a more meaningful way than perhaps a previous generation. So I think you're going to see a redefinition of, of what that will, that will look like. You know, medicine and the intersection of medicine and technology are going to create enormous changes in terms of how people will live. The other thing I would say is with remote work and hybrid work, the cognitive abilities of people to work from home who might be, you know, 70 or even 80 who want to continue to work in the gig economy or do projects is going to redefine work and redefine how people can work longer by doing it at home. And I think that's going to really benefit the, the individual who's 50 plus, who at a certain point might say, I want to work, but I don't want to work the same way I used to work. I want to work in a different kind of role at 65 or 70. And that's going to be meaningful as well in terms of work. More from Michael in a moment. Now at the download, where I'm joined by my stylist colleagues to unpick the key cultural, business and industry trends of the moment that you need to know about. Here's Katie Barron, Stylus's content director, on the key trends that will impact retail and brand comms in 2023. Tell me what's happening in the world of retail and brand comms. What's exciting at the moment? Do you know what? Probably some of the most exciting stuff at the moment is happening around the kind of idea of degrowth and, and stakeholder capitalism. Explain Third, what degrowth means. Um, well, if I go into the stakeholder capitalism okay. side of it, maybe a bit, bit more. So the whole, there was the Patagonia announcement recently. So that you have Yvon Chouard, who basically announced that he was kind of forfeiting the profits of Patagonia, which is a billion dollar company, by giving the profits back of the company to, a various, uh, to an eco charity, essentially, a charitable trust. And then it was followed just shortly after that by Faith in Nature, which is a beauty brand based in Edinburgh. This one is even more bonkers and hasn't had quite so much press because they're not a billion dollar brand, but they're still quite a, a significant brand. And they've actually appointed nature to their board of directors, to the company. Um, and they've done this legally. It's like a process that's been like over a year or two years. What, you mean Mother Nature? Mother Nature. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Which means that, that so nature sits on the board of directors as being, so they have to be responsible. So... 
stakeholder capitalism, that idea that you have a brand which is there to make money, a financially stable brand, but it's the customers, it's the it's the employees, it's the it's the owners. So all of a sudden you have so everybody has a stake in these brands, as opposed to it being some people have an enormous stake, some people kind of just, you know, get paid. Everybody essentially is kind of complicit in what that company does, in who gets paid, into where the profits go back. So, so it's almost like thinking about retail going back to that kind of cooperative model. And this is really exciting at the moment because this is really kind of quite radical, actually. Fundamentally, the last two years have been so transformative in terms of what people will accept, what they find kind of reprehensible, the way they want their neighbourhoods to function, the way they want brands to give back to society that you have this kind of shift that I think probably couldn't have happened at any other time. You'd have such a kind of huge jolt. And of course, now we've got, you know, you've got the war, you've got inflationary pressures, huge cost of living crisis, COVID, of course. So it's not just a COVID thing. It's all these things coalescing to almost create this sort of fulcrum where things have never been so bad. But in a way, that's where kind of an entirely new way of thinking can be born from. Because unless things kind of hit rock bottom, people find it very difficult to imagine a new way of living. So that's actually really exciting. So we're really seeing some of these things before, which I feel were not necessarily, I wouldn't go so far to say paying lip service to have being a brand with purpose. But I think lots of people will be aware of the sense that brand purpose got kind of hijacked in the same way as kind of greenwashing, sort of purpose-led marketing washing, if you like. So this is really, really exciting. And we're looking at this kind of all over the world. So we're looking at, we're looking at particularly for kind of like malls. We're looking at it, like we're looking at a lot of malls, what they're doing with like co-working spaces. So we're looking at kind of the, the agents of retail and co-working, which is really interesting. Again, the reason I think all this stuff is so interesting is because there's some quite contentious perspectives involved in these things. So for instance, when we were looking at retail and we were saying, well, okay, the co-working spaces why would anybody care? Why is it a thing? We have had them before. When you look at them in the context of thinking of like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's con comments recently, where he was saying, you know, and this has been all over LinkedIn, people going bananas about it, saying, actually, working from home is destroying us. We don't have any, you know, it's ruining people's sense of belonging, their sense of purpose, their sense of, you know, kind of how do they fit in, you know, so, so belonging in, in all kinds of different ways. And, and people, have been, it's been complete uproar about this because people have been saying, but I'm so present and just because I don't commute any longer, I'm present with my families. But then the flip side of it is like, well, are you really present or are you just sitting at home working mm. hours? And how do you, how are you connecting socially? How are you having all those kind of incidental forms of communication? So that's really exciting thinking about actually kind of retail and some of these physical retail spaces particularly that... It looked like the death knell had sounded for them in some ways, but actually kind of reviving, you know, department stores, particularly like Saks, for instance, opening these spaces where you've got, you know, you've got kind of retail and then you've got restaurants. Then between them, you've got these co-working floors. And so particularly for young people who might be living with like four flatmates, this is this is kind of quite a revolutionary thing. So some of these things are really exciting. And even, you know, Starbucks working with like the UN's sort of new developmental index. So sort of thinking about what a community store looks like. You know, if you were to create a store, it used to be about, you know, the metrics of kind of affluence in that area, footfall in that area. And all of a sudden saying, actually, we're identifying the places that really need support and we're putting retail back into those areas to be kind of part of the community. So this stuff is, is really exciting because it's like really radical. It's really thinking about brands devolving, moving away from that kind of hyper global 
model and sort of co-ownership with consumers in some some states. Yeah, I think that interest uh, that the whole co-working space and this idea of third spaces in general is very interesting. Yeah. People seem to be more aware of this idea now that there was once the third space of retail yeah. in on the high street and it's now not yeah. there and it's not not that people want that particular version back mm. but they want something that's about community that yeah. not necessarily has to always be about consumerism right yeah that there's a way of meeting people spontaneously or serendipitously yeah. that isn't focused around how you're spending money at the same time yeah exactly and that idea of the kind of the, the you know going back to the really almost traditional notion of what a shopkeeper was which was someone that would kind of edit and curate which sounds like that's a kind of phrase that's been really sort of co-opted sort of as fashion editorial but it is true. I mean, even if you think about, you know, London was really famous for having kind of amazing concept stores, particularly in the 90s. So people like Yasmin Sewell had like a, a, a store called the Penial Eye. And now you still have stores like that called Machine A and things like that, but not quite to the same extent. And that was a space where it was all about, you know, you would go there because she was connected to young designers and what was happening in kind of fashion and music and art and culture. Although that's an interesting thing, because actually what we're seeing at the moment is I'm doing a piece of work also at the moment on the internet, which is at the very kind of peripheries of Soho. And that's a really interesting space because, again, you know, we could call it a third space. But I think it's about those physical spaces, which often actually bring in a lot of technological, really high tech concepts to bring all these things together, which are the kind of the soul of of art and culture and who we are as a society in a way. Mm. So the outer is essentially, it's quite hard to explain actually, but it's, it's, it's on the edge of Soho and it's a kind of connected network of buildings. So it's owned by a property developer. So it's like a mini district in a way. But the crux of it is these different rooms that imagine have these kind of huge screens around them. So imagine something that's a little bit like Times Square, but in like different components, but Web3 connected as well. So, for instance, I'm going to an immersive art concept there next week, but I'm also speaking to a company called Swivel Meta at the moment who are working on the Web3 technologies. So there will be the capacity to have, and they've already tried some stuff out in there where you've had small brands go in there. Um, and, of course, you know, this is sort of democratising in a way or kind of making accessible for people that don't have a headset to go in and have the most extraordinary experience, the thing you would go to a gallery for but also to go into a pop-up space and, you know, be able to access, see on these huge screens, something happening in the metaverse, perhaps to connect to it, someone will help you with a crypto wallet, so you could actually then see your avatar itself appear in the metaverse on the screen around you. When you leave, it's RFID enabled, you get a, a code allowing you to go online and access something else from that brand. So you can see there are all these things, whether it's art or music, they will be, they're broad, fully broadcastable spaces as well. So you'll be able to launch, like a launch a car all around the world. It's a, fa it's a fascinating space because it's being, it's a, a guy called Philip O'Farrell is involved in it, who was previously at MTV and at Paramount, Viacom. So he has a history of kind of pioneering new formats. I spoke to him on Friday and he's actually said, in a way, it's a kind of format factory. It's like we're trying things out. We don't even know exactly what will work, what will fly yet. Ridley Scott's involved in it. A lot of kind of people that have come from kind of high-grade cultural organisations, BAFTA, are involved. So for me, that's really exciting because I think there are very few things as exciting as when you get kind of culture, art, commerce, mixing, and mixing in a public space. So even going back to this conversation about what 
the third spaces should be, what should our public spaces should be. You know, one thing that people really moan about with the metaverse is they think, it, A, it's for kids and gamers, or B, you know, it's if you've got headsets and you're, you know, you're very clued up on that kind of thing, what good is it to anybody else? But I think increasingly we're going to see with the metaverse, you know, the power to connect people, whether it's co-presence to be able to spend time with someone across the other side of the world, or it's about maybe your health, your mental health. So actually at the Outernet, they did a concept called, I think it was called Room to Breathe. And it was about going into a space. I don't think you even had to have a device with you. And the rhythm of the room and the sound and the visuals, people could just go in for kind of 15 minutes and it would sort of slow down your sympathetic nervous system or something like that. And that was a public space. So you could be, you know, on before you go on your commute and you just get 15 minutes in that space. And that can make a huge difference to you in the same way that the, you know, the English National Opera, the ENO, have been working on a concept called Breathe to help people with long COVID and their breathing techniques. So for me, I just feel like there are so many opportunities at the moment. You know, I, we're, in a, we're in a quite dark times in many ways, but, but because of that, people are trying out incredible stuff and people are using technologies in different ways and our public spaces are changing a lot. So I feel quite optimistic about what's happening at the moment. Now let's return to the final part of my interview with Michael Clinton. What's the next big adventure or what are the next big adventures that you're still looking forward to? Well, I think, you know, that the big adventure is going to be the launch of the Roar business and really bringing a voice to this whole a whole concept. And, you know, I think that there's a lot that has to, you know, that we could run the gamut, government policy, business policy. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but, you know, in the US, there is embedded ageism in the business world. And how do you blow that up? There are still many big accounting firms and law firms that have mandatory retirement in your early 60s. You know, if you're 62 and you're being forced to retire and you're going to live another 30 years, you know, playing golf and going to live in some resort area is not going to sustain you for 30 years. I, I mean, it may be for some people, but I think the majority of people are saying, well, that, that's a long, a long haul. So really, you know, whether it's government or business policy or lifestyle or culture and entertainment, you know, all of this is, you know, a lot of, there'll be a lot of work that, will, that can be done. And, there, and by the way, there are a lot of voices that are emerging, you know, in, in the space. It used to be that, you know, youth creates culture, but now you're seeing, you know, 50 plus year olds also create culture in trends, whether it's in film or art or, you know, pick your creative endeavor. And I think the intergenerational aspect is quite meaningful. It's the first time in history that five generations will be in the workplace at the same time as we're all living longer. And so what will that mean about learning from each other? You know, how do you take on a mentor role, but at the same time, take on a mentee? You know, I've got mentees in their 20s who are fill me in on what's happening in their world. And I fill them in on what it's going to be like for them when they're, you know, over 60 and how they're going to be living a very, very different kind of life than, than what they think is the construct now. So it's really exciting stuff. That's it for this edition of Future Thinking. I hope you enjoyed it and I'd love to hear your feedback. On Twitter, we're at stylus underscore live and I'm at Christian Ward. And on Instagram, you can find us at wearestylus. See you in the new year. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. 
And if you liked what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.